Welcome to Milk Drunk by Bobby, a straight-up conversation about parenthood without the BS. We'll be featuring parenting experts, people you may recognize, and some others you might be meeting for the first time. Milk Drunk is brought to you by Bobby, the mom-founded and led organic formula brand evolving the conversation around how we choose to feed our babies. Our goal is to have open and honest conversations that make parents feel less alone. Think group chat energy, but I'm not going to send you my karaoke rendition of Cheetah Girls classic, No More, Baby I'ma Do Right. I'm your host, Angelica Temple, and today we're talking about rewriting the family plan. First, we're joined by singer, actress, former Cheetah Girl, and current mom, Adrienne Bailon Houghton. We talk about her experiences with IVF surrogacy and how much our perfect picture of pregnancy and parenthood evolves through the trials and tribulations of building a family. Then we're joined by fertility specialist, Dr. Shaheen Gadir, who gives us the lowdown on all things fertility and tells us about his mission to help every aspiring parent build the family of their dreams. Let's get into it. Today's guest is a pop star, a Disney star, an award-winning TV host, and a new mother. Please welcome Adrian Bailon Houghton. Welcome, Adrian. What an intro. Yes. I mean, <laughs> what a what a person. <laughs> you're amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, so I know your son ever is seven months old, right? Or what yeah. where are we at? Yes. He actually just turned eight months. Yeah. Just turned eight months. Oh my god. A few days. Eight months and like three days. <laughs> That's amazing. Those months really count in that first year. How they is do. how is year one going? It is going amazing. It's oh my gosh, it's so much better than I ever could have imagined. And I imagined for a very long time. Yeah. So I just feel like everyone tries to tell you the love you're gonna experience, the fun you're gonna experience mm-hmm. is so much more than you'll ever expect. And I completely agree with that. I also hear people telling moms, especially new moms, that like, okay. Yes, there are going to be like very exhausting moments, Mm -hmm. but the good times absolutely outweigh the exhaustion. Oh, 100%. I'll never forget when it, I feel, I don't remember if it was five or six weeks when the smile comes in. It's also when things, you're sort of at the end of your rope on waking up and it's like they're designed to keep you loving. (laughs) Yes. Yes. My son, um, we did, we do co-sleeping. So Uh literally like. He's there and I swear he wakes up like I'll start hearing him like, eh, eh, and then he's up on all fours, turns to me and gives me the biggest smile like, yeah, we ready for the day. And he's doing the rock back and forth. And it yes. is just the best way to start my day. The Absolutely. Best way to wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to tell you, in prepping for our convo, I was re-listening to 3LW. And she had a girls. And now not only is play is going to play living rent free in my brain, but my (laughs) daughters have proclaimed themselves cheetah girls. So thank you for that. that. (laughs) Thank you for for keeping it cheetah licious in your home. I know. And that's why I had to wear my little, my nod, my nod to your history. I like it. I like it. Today's episode is all about rewriting the family plan. So I would love to start by talking about when you were growing up. How did you perceive and define motherhood? What did you expect that identity to be like? Yeah, I felt like my mom was a superhero. My mom was my whole world. I absolutely am a mama's girl. My Mm -hmm. sister was more the daddy's girl, and I've been attached to my mom 
this entire time. Yeah. Literally, since my <laughs> existence, I am still attached. But literally, there might as well be the umbilical cord still oh, existing. It's an imaginary amazing. one. But my mom is my best friend. She is my safety net. She is my peace, my best friend now that I'm older. And for me, I wanted motherhood to feel and be that way the day that I became a mom. Like, mm-hmm. I hope that my son views me even a quarter of like how I view my mom. Yes. There's something so beautiful about the journey and the adventure that my mom and I have been on that if I could just have something similar like that with my son, I just, I have so much to look forward to. Hmm. That's amazing. You know, speaking of becoming a mother, what assumptions did you have leading up to your motherhood journey? And how did that affect your idea of family planning? Yeah, well, mine was very interesting because I got married at 33 and was super excited about the idea of starting a family. But I knew that I wanted to have a year of just married bliss. I wanted to be able to have sex in all the places and do Mm -hmm. whatever I wanted to and pick up and travel and take spontaneous road trips and pick up in the middle of the night and be like, do we want to fly to Vegas? Do we want to drive there? Like, we just wanted to have that year of that honeymoon phase. And then we were like, okay, after a year and we're in the swing of things, then we could start a family. And crazy enough, I had this very ignorant idea that like, oh my God, we should have twins. My husband has children from a a previous marriage. Mm -hmm. And we just loved the idea of like, let's have twins. That seems cool. We've seen people do it before and IVF and the possibilities. And we were like, that would be so awesome. And so we went to go see a fertility doctor and we're like, hey, this is the plan we have. Just seems really glamorous and fun and a good idea. Mm -hmm. One done. This sounds awesome. And that's really where the shift of what I thought motherhood would be completely happened in that doctor's office when I was told, um, you don't need to be doing IVF for some glamorous idea of twins. You actually don't have many follicles. You don't have many eggs and you are on a rapid decline, which means that we need to get on this ASAP and there is a problem and this may not be nearly as easy as you think it is going to be. Ooh, okay. So yeah. you, so you guys, right when you decided to start a family, yeah. you went to a doctor. So you didn't, yeah. you know, you weren't doing we didn't all, even like, try. No, I had been on birth control. I mean, there was just like, it was just like, we're like, we never have to wonder if like, oh my God, there's a slip up. Like this will be planned out. I also think as a career woman, obviously working on television, I even planned around like the hiatus of my show. Right. And just looking back, it all sounds so ridiculous to me. And I realize how much I didn't know and Mm -hmm. how the frame of mind that I'm in now compared to six and a half years ago when this journey started is completely night and day. Like if I was going to give birth while live on television, that would have been just fine. Right. Now that I'm thinking about it, (laughs) like- And I'm just so glad that I was able to just even become a mother after six years of IVF. I did eight cycles of IVF. Oh my gosh. A lot of my girlfriends that had done this before me were like, oh, you're going to do injections for like maybe nine or 10 days. Like Mm -hmm. the average is around there and people make up to 20 something eggs. It could be like 18 eggs, like this insane thing. And of course my journey was completely different. I go in with it with this idea. I am on day nine day 10, they're like, "Mm, we don't see much brewing here. You're probably going to have to go the full length of 14 days. So that was the first sign of like, Mm. okay, once again, this is not going to go as planned. This is going to be a bit more difficult for me Mm -hmm. um, because the hormone injections that you get, 
they are supposed to help you produce right. more eggs. And mine was not producing much like we didn't have much going on they go in there they do vaginal ultrasounds and they kind of see what you have going on and they yeah. kind of see okay well you have this many follicles which hopefully means this many eggs and they didn't see much happening so i ended up having it to the 14th day and they're like okay we'll go in there and see what we can get and the first time i i retrieved my eggs i got four eggs total mm -hmm which is a very low number yeah. for someone at 33. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like, wait, what? And they're like, this is what we got. We're gonna see what we can do. They fertilized it in that moment with my husband's sperm. And then you wait. Okay. So you get your, your eggs retrieved, they fertilize them, and they do all the genetic screening and testing, mm -hmm. which tells you whether you got girls or boys, if they're healthy, that they've got all their chromosomes. That happens after 14 days. Okay. So. After the 14 days, I'm super excited. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna get the phone call. I'm wondering what did I get? Do I have two girls, two boys? Do I have mm -hmm. all girls? Again, wild ignorance. Yeah. And I will never forget, I was in a hair salon getting my hair done. I was under the dryer and I saw the number pop up from my doctor's office. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And sadly, he told me that none of my embryos tested normal. Right. And I just remember starting to cry, just being like, wait, like, what does that mean? Yeah. And then the reality hit in once, like the emotional part of it, then I was like, wait, so that's it? And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry, we can try again. And I was like, wait, so like that, like, that's it, that's it. Like, what happens to my money? Yeah. Like, do I get my money yeah. back? Like, this is not cheap. This is an expensive process. Yes. Like, that, that's it. And I just couldn't believe it. Like I was like, this felt like such a failure, such like, mm -hmm. I just couldn't understand. Like, wait a second, like this seemed like a sure thing. And it was not a sure thing. And at that point, I was um, pretty much told that the sooner I kept trying, the better results I would have, because sadly, okay. I was getting older by the second. Right, right. <laughs> and with every period I was getting, I was losing more eggs and the possibilities were um, diminishing for me. So I just I went right in, I went straight and I went from feeling like defeated and sad to suddenly waking up a morning and going, we just got to try again. And yep. so we did. So same and process again. Same exact yep. process. This time I got six eggs. Okay. All six uh, fertilized. Only four of them made it to the, uh, I believe it's called blastocyst when they okay. go in and, and check uh, for all the chromosomes and mm -hmm. all the genetic screening. And two of them made it through that. Okay. And I got a phone call mm -hmm. saying I had two healthy embryos and I had a girl and I had a boy. Mm -hmm. And once again, it was told to me that while this is amazing news, I cried my eyes out. Yeah. I was rejoicing with my husband. I'm so excited at this moment. I'm like, oh my God. And so we rejoiced for the moment. And then once again, got the news from the doctor that the smartest thing I could do was maybe take a break for a month and try rapidly once again, because okay. once we get to the process of actually implanting mm -hmm. these embryos into my uterus, I want to have enough to implant. I want to have enough chances oh, okay. of the possibility that I actually will have an embryo that takes. Mm -hmm. And I believe the numbers are actually pretty slim. They're not, it's not a high chance. Like mm -hmm. your implanting of an embryo into your uterus, I want to say I could be totally wrong, but I want to say it was like a 40, 60% chance, some oh, kind of number okay. like that. And I was yeah. like, 
You want enough to have more chances Mm -hmm. at getting pregnant. So then you did this eight times? I did this eight times. And in those eight cycles of trying, I also got what is considered a failed cycle, which means that they are stimulating your ovaries as much as possible. And that when they go in to actually retrieve something, there is nothing there to retrieve. So I had about four of those, four failed cycles. And from the other four, uh, I got three embryos total. I got pregnant my first time Mm -hmm. implanting and I was super excited about it and Mm -hmm. actually uh, carried until I was four months. Oh, wow. And we were getting ready to announce and I ended up miscarrying, um, which was heartbreaking, not just for me in the oddest way. I feel like people don't talk about this enough. The fact that like when you miscarry, you don't just feel sad for yourself, but you feel sad for everyone. You feel like you're disappointing and everyone that prayed with you and was hopeful with you and wanting this for you and excited for Mm -hmm. you. Um, and for me, that was really, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And so from there, we're like, we still have more embryos. Let's try again. I implanted a second time and it didn't take. So then I was like really discouraged at this point. And it was the start of the pandemic and we were just home. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give my body a rest. I've been literally shooting up my body with hormones for the last five years at that point, Mm -hmm. uh, four and a half, five years at that point. And I said, maybe I should just give my body a chance and let's try doing this naturally. I ended up getting off birth control because sometimes they actually- They put you on it, right? Yeah. They end up putting you on it. And I was like, I'm already on it. So we're good to go. I ended up getting off it. We were home doing nothing. I said, hey, I could think of some things we could do. (laughs) And I actually ended up getting pregnant naturally. Okay. And miscarried again. And finally, my doctor told me, you know, you still have this one embryo that's been sitting in the freezer since 2017. Wow. Would you consider surrogacy? And that hit me in a way that I didn't expect it to just because it felt like it felt like something I did not expect. Yeah. I was super sad if I'm gonna be honest. Like just hearing that initially, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And I sat with that for a moment and I remember then talking to my husband about it and and I have the dopest husband who's like, babe. Mm we should consider it. Like, let's just give it, let's just give it, you know, some considerations, give it some thought, let's mm-hmm. sit with it. Let's pray about it. Let's see how we feel about it. Yeah. And then my sister had a conversation with my sister, who's literally like one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. And she is, and was a labor and delivery nurse for years. Oh my gosh. So you're yeah, like so, in it. Yes. She's you the best. Connected. She's the best. <laughs> and she looked at me and just said, Adrian, what do you want? What what is the goal in all of this that you've been trying for the last almost five years at that point? Yeah. yeah. She's like, what is it that you want? And I said, I, I just want to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Will this get you what the end result that you want? Will yeah. this get you to be a mom? And I said, Yeah. And she goes, Then that's where you gotta stay focused. How what the journey is is probably not gonna be the way you planned it. But when you are holding that baby in your arms and you hear that child at some point call you mom and all these different steps of the way, she's like, none of that is going to matter. What's going to matter is that you get to be this child's Mm -hmm. mom. And so I was just like, wow. And what did you know about surrogacy or, you know, what was your take on it? Not a damn thing. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> literally nothing. I knew nothing. I knew that I had seen the only person that like we that I knew personally that had had a surrogate was Kim Kardashian. Okay, and I just knew of other celebrities that I had heard of mm-hmm. in the news, but I actually didn't know anyone personally outside of Kim. And so that was my first phone call. Honestly, it was like, hey, this is what I'm being told. What can you tell me? And she was just a godsend and the best and gave me information and connected me with an incredible surrogate attorney. This is what they do. They do, you know, that's so like a lawyer sounds yeah. opposite. Like that just sounds very business-like. Sure. And yet when I got on the phone with this man, it was the complete opposite. Andy Vorzimer, this incredible lawyer who talks to you like he's a dad. Oh, and yeah. me and my husband got off the phone call and we're like, that did not go at all the way we expected. Like I thought yeah. I was so uncomfortable. I thought this was going to be the most awkward phone call. Like, how do I explain to somebody everything I've been through, Seriously. my ups, the downs, why I'm even on this call with you? Yeah. How do I explain that to somebody that you don't know intimately in that way? Mm-hmm. And when I got off the call, I was like, that man just made me feel like I got a warm hug through a phone call. Oh my God. And he told me that he would be by my side and walk me and talk me through every step of the way, protect us as the intended parents, which is what they call us, IPs. Right. Yeah. We are the IPs, the intended parents. And mm-hmm. just any concerns or things that sound scary, because that can sound scary. Hi, someone else is carrying my whole DNA, my yeah. biological child in their body you know, what does that mean? Can I say what mm-hmm. she can eat, what she can't? I mean, there's just so, I mean, there's, right? there's, there's so many fears you can have. And he definitely put my fears at rest. And yeah, so to be able to talk to somebody and for them to Absolutely. make you feel hopeful again and mm-hmm. remind you of the love and the experience that you're about to have and this, uh, you know, this motherhood journey that you're about to be able to have, regardless mm-hmm. of how you get there was just, freaking awesome. I think the major thing Kim reminded me of was the fact that she had two children that she physically birthed and she had two children from circus. And she was like, I feel just as much a bond. And just explaining that sort of thing, that was important for me to hear because I, again, I felt like, will he feel bonded to me? Will I feel bonded to him? Like, what is that like? Um, And just those kind of conversations are so needed. And I think that's why conversations like this and podcasts like this, where People are hearing someone else's experience because you don't know what that's going to be like. Yeah. Surrogates are straight up baby angels. Like I, I like they literally are the guardian angels of babies that bring them to moms. And I had a rock star surrogate, the most incredible woman. And I, I think the process of finding and choosing a surrogate is very important. So I think deciding what matters to you And making a list of that for me was really important. So I sat down with my husband. I said, okay, what are we looking for? And what are the things that are important to us? Because you actually get to see a bunch of bios of different surrogates that you can choose from. And it's almost like a match.com vibe. You end up working with an agency. And I sat down with my husband and we're like, okay, what's important to us? One thing that was important to me, which may not be important to someone else, is that they had been a surrogate previously. Mm -hmm. Second thing that was important to me, you're going to see profiles. These profiles have pictures of these women and their families and Mm -hmm. their children. And it literally tells you everything from like what they like to do, what their hobbies are, Mm -hmm. what the family structure is, what their jobs are. How often do they work? Does their work require them to stand, walk a lot? 
because you're going to want to think about the fact that will this person have to take time off from work? If they do, it is more than likely Mm -hmm. you'll have to pay that salary that they're losing. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. so much that goes into it. And so you're reading all these things. You're looking at all these pictures. Mm -hmm. And um, then they write an essay as well. You get to read like an essay from them. And us as the IPs, we also write an essay that tells these uh, surrogates that like, hey, this is why we're here. This is why we've gotten to this place. This is everything Mm -hmm. we've gone through. And this is why we want to be parents as well. Because Mm -hmm. I'm sure on their end, it's important that they're carrying a child for someone who's going to be good to this child, who's going to give them a great life, who's going to love on them. So um, we ended up matching. And because of COVID, normally they have you meet in person, but we ended up doing a Zoom for the first time. And I feel like even in relationships, when you hear people say, when you know, you know, I felt that way with my surrogate. I felt like, she really felt that this was a calling of hers, that this was her purpose, was to help people who couldn't have children create families. And that's amazing. Yeah, she was just awesome. Yeah, that's great. So fast forward, your baby is being born. Yes. And you actually get to catch your baby, pull your baby out. What did that yeah. feel like? Insane. I feel like even I remember being there, but it literally felt like an out of body experience. Um, I watched him, you know, when he started crowning and I'm looking over at my husband and I'm like, oh my God, he's got all this hair. And um, we had a home birth. So we had midwives there. And I remember his little shoulders coming out and they're like, you can grab him and be kind of being like, where do I grab? Like, where do I grab from? And just putting him on my body. And I remember his little head. He had like wild neck control that he shouldn't have had so young Uh. and looking around the room, like what's going on out here. And my first reaction being like, um, is he supposed to be uh, doing this with his neck? Seriously. You, I felt this overwhelming love. And it felt like it was exactly the way it was supposed to be. I knew that that was my baby boy, that I'm his mom. Mm. And when I watched the video back, it while wildly cringy to watch those moments back. Oh, yes. I'm bawling my eyes out. And I just yes. kept saying over and over again, I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so Aww. much. I love you so much. I love you so much because I've loved him before he even was. You know what I mean? Like if you've ever yeah, dreamed of being years. a mother, you dream up in your mind what that's going to be like, what this child's going to look like, sound like, uh, just what that feeling is going to be. And this was my moment. And I just couldn't find any other words, but to repeat like nonstop. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, baby boy. I just, I love, like, I just love you so much. Mm -hmm. And it was the best moment of my life, the best moment of my life. And In that moment, everything everyone told me, all the encouraging words, all the prayers, everything made sense because I was just like, you're so right. Like, I didn't think about the injections. I didn't think about what I felt I had lost and not being able to carry. I didn't think about, oh, man, I wish I would have or what it would have been. Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. think in that moment I was in pure bliss Mm -hmm. and I was a mom. That's so amazing. And that was all I wanted. How did it feel when you fed him for the first time? Yeah. So crazy enough, we did latch him onto me. And oh when I, yeah. So even though I didn't have any breast milk in my breast, yeah. Yeah. Um, the midwife was like, think of your nipple as a pacifier. It still can soothe him. It can still oh. be something that like, so for the first 
four months, the only way he would go to sleep was on my breast, like literally suckling like a pacifier. And so I just have him there sleeping on my chest and it was mm-hmm. the best experience. And then mm-hmm. again, so grateful for my surrogate. We got colostrum mm-hmm. in the first few moments. Okay. She was able to start pumping and she yeah. actually pumped for the first month and a half, I would Incredible. say. And then we were able to do half formula, half breast milk. And then at that point, he was on Bobby ever since, like just till this day, till now. Yeah. You know, we love to hear it. Uh, I mean, yeah. That's, <laughs> I remember my sister breastfed my my niece for three years. <laughs> Ooh. She wow, is also, exactly. yeah, she's also yeah. a goddess. She is. <laughs> and her being there with me and knowing that someone that felt so strongly about breastfeeding their child was there telling me, girl, give him the formula. Yeah. Like that to me was so awesome. And she's like, mm-hmm. he's going to eat. It's going to be awesome. Like he's, this is great. Also, did you ever try your kid's formula before you gave it to them? Yes. I always did. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I, ch- I tasted breast milk. I tasted, I just was like, I should know what my kid is having. Yeah. Just, I just wanted to see. Of course. Well, I especially wanted to compare it to breast milk. Yeah. I was like, this one kind of tastes like cantaloupe water. This one tastes like something cantaloupe else. Cantaloupe water is a great example. <laughs> I almost sometimes felt like unsweetened almond milk. Oh, yeah. Like I can see some, that. Yeah. Like a, with something else to it. After all of this, everything you've been through, what's next? Do you think you'll want to try this journey again? I do. I do want to try again. And I have not given hope. I always tell my husband, I'm like, I am either the most delusional human being or I'm the most hopeful. It could go either way. You Um, sound like the most optimistic, hopeful person. And it comes through, you know? Thank you. But I still have dreams of caring. I really do. And so... While I am so hopeful, there's also a weird part of me that doesn't want to be ungrateful. I know that sounds weird. Like I feel like my son is such a miracle Mm -hmm. that there's a part of me that's like, well, you should be just grateful that you even got your one miracle baby versus he's not even a year old and being like, okay, so when's the next one? I think that I wasn't prepared for how dimensional life would be at this stage. And that I could feel so many things at the same time. So I think just listening to you describe, you can be grateful and completely present with your son and still be thinking about wanting to try again, right? And that's that's great. That's amazing. Part of it is because of him, right? (laughs) You've been through, you know that there are many different paths to parenthood and you're open to it, including the one that's like the original one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep trying. And I I think that even takes the pressure off. I think that there's a weird, like, just a sigh of relief. I'm not fighting Mm -hmm. to become a mother anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I am a mom. So there isn't that, you hear my baby crying in the background. Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm like, is? Gotta go. Um, But like, I am a mom. So there isn't that angst anymore of just like, am I never going to be a mother? I'm never going to have that experience. No, I I am a mother. And so maybe that will even make this journey a little bit different this time around. Maybe that'll be different. So we'll see. I just never want my son to feel like he wasn't enough. You know what I mean? Like like he's more than enough. But hey, 
maybe you want a sibling. I don't want you to be yeah. alone. You got to learn how to share these toys, okay? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Adrian. This has thank been amazing. You. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself and your journey. Thank you. Now, we're going to continue talking about rewriting our own family plan by sitting down with fertility specialist and father, Dr. Shaheen Gadir. Welcome to Milk Drunk. Thank you so much for having me. I know you are a fellow podcast host and an avid content creator and a father of four. That's correct. The hardest job of mine all is the father of four. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we get to that, we're so excited that you're here. Can you explain what a reproductive endocrinologist and fertility specialist does? Absolutely. So Reproductive endocrinology involves all the hormones that help people get pregnant. So if someone's hormonal um, balance is kind of off when it comes to their reproductive hormones, that's an Mm -hmm. area of my expertise. For example, like polycystic ovary syndrome, where your hormones are a little little bit (laughs) unbalanced, that falls under my realm. I actually did my thesis in the area of PCOS, so I'm very knowledgeable about it. Um, But also the infertility aspect of it is for anyone that cannot get pregnant. So we globally look at people uh, that cannot get pregnant, look at their hormones, look at everything that we can do to try to balance things. And then we have treatment options that help people get pregnant. The majority of the patients that walk through the door do more Mm -hmm. of the infertility stuff, but I still do see patients and talk to patients from around the world that need help kind of balancing things out and aren't really interested in pregnancy at this time. I would love to hear a little bit about your experience, your personal experience with fertility and with building your family. 100%. I've always been very open about it. My wife has encouraged me to, and she has as well. We decided, I'm about 13 years older than my wife, and we decided to start uh, a few years after we got married. Um, My wife Mm -hmm. was in her early 20s. We had a beautiful baby girl. The first time we tried, we conceived and Mm. everything went perfect. We decided Mm -hmm. she was about eight or nine months to try again. We got pregnant Mm -hmm. again immediately. And that ended Mm. in a miscarriage. Um, We were about nine or 10 weeks and we had a miscarriage. And Mm -hmm. after that, we did not get pregnant for a really long time. So Mm -hmm. about a year into it, we started to do artificial insemination cycles. Six months later, those weren't working. So we decided to do in vitro fertilization, which is IVF. Mm -hmm. And we were able to get a good number of eggs. We were able to genetically test and make sure all of our embryos that were looking good were normal and beautiful and healthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we decided instead of one embryo to put two embryos back because we wanted a larger family and we felt like we were falling a little bit behind where we wanted to start off. And Mm -hmm. both the embryos that we put, we put a boy and a girl, uh, they both took. My twins are now 11 and a half years old. They know that they were lab created. My oldest yeah. is aware that she was home created. And we were lucky enough to be able to get a spontaneous pregnancy again for number four. And we have oh a little six year old as well. And it happened all oh. naturally again at home. So I have three girls and one boy. Um, we've been through wow. the miscarriage. We've been through the IVF. We've been through beautiful success. We've been through times that were harder, but we've been through it emotionally and physically. And it's a, it's a challenge. And I think I've learned a lot from going through this myself. I can just imagine in a consult really feeling grounded by your experience and being able to connect in that way. Thank you. So scenario A, you might want kids eventually, but you know you don't want them now. (laughs) When do you recommend people freeze their eggs? I say the same answer. I've only been asked that question a million times and it's been the same. (laughs) The sooner, the better. Okay. 
okay? Okay. Everyone's egg quality is better the younger they are. So if you're mm -hmm. 40, you don't want to wait till you're 40 in one day. Right. If you are in your 20s, perfect time to do it. All the research mm -hmm. has shown that at the, the average woman, when they are between 26, 27, 28, their egg quality starts to go down little by little. Okay. Then it gets faster and faster. And their egg numbers start to go down as well. So the quantity starts to go down. It has mm -hmm. been very challenging over the years to get people in their 20s to freeze their eggs. We have had people, but not as many as I would ideally want. So I have mm -hmm. a cutoff that by the age of 30, if you are not ready to start a family right then, you need to freeze your eggs. And if you're mm -hmm. married, you need to start freezing embryos because there are many 30-year-old okay. women that actually are married and still don't want to. So they're in a false place thinking, I'm married. I'm not like that single woman. But if you're not willing to have a kid there, you need to freeze eggs or embryos at that time. And the other Whoa. thing is that let's say you're 30 years old, but you want to have four kids. It's also an important time to consider preserving embryos for the future. Because mm -hmm. if you get pregnant now, but you will still want to have baby three or four at the, your late 30s, many people begin to have difficulties at that, that, that time. So it's really important to do that as well. Whoa, this is this is blowing my mind. I did not have this conversation. I feel like my experience was, okay, we're sort of, I had not been having periods regularly for a long time, but they had gotten much more spaced. So I just went in and was like, what's going on with me? Like, I know I'm not pregnant. I've taken a million pregnancy tests. We're not even trying, but it was sort of, you know, just a lot of missed periods. And then that's when I found out I had PCOS. And it was sort of like a, you might only get four periods a year. You know, we don't know the frequency. But I will tell you something. Yes. PCOS women that do get a period three, four times a year, twice a year, once a year, it doesn't mean they're ovulating during those cycles. So many of right. those women have these very irregular cycles that eventually the lining of the uterus just sheds, but at no time did they ever ovulate. So I just want people that are listening to be aware if you have PCOS and you're having four periods a year, that does not mean that you had a beautiful ovulation, nor does it yeah. mean that you know how to track what day you ovulated in that three-month no. period. So most likely no. you're not ovulating. But um, but with my second, when I went in to get the scan for PCOS to sort of see what are we dealing with, they were like, you don't have PCOS anymore. Hmm. And I was like, I don't understand. And then I was pregnant within a month. So <laughs> PCOS is a major spectrum, okay? Yeah. There are some people that are at the extreme involving obesity, male pattern baldness, they have darkness like around their neck, under their arms, under the breasts, and all the areas where the skin touches each other. That's telling us that their insulin levels aren't working well, which is the root of PCOS, is that the insulin okay. receptors are not good. And then there's people, and then they have excessive hair growth on their body, especially the mm -hmm. chin, and they mm -hmm. rarely get a period. That's one extreme of the side of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. I'm going to take you all the way to the other end of the spectrum where I think you're falling. Mm -hmm which is some people have maybe an irregular period here or there. Their ovary is not truly polycystic in appearance. And I have to tell you, people can move around on the spectrum. You lose weight, mm -hmm. things get better. You gain weight, things get worse. Um, mm -hmm. Your insulin levels are really bad, things get worse. So mm -hmm. you can move around on the spectrum. But I'm glad whatever you did or <laughs> didn't helped you move to an area where you were kind of on this edge of the spectrum that's borderline and possibly yeah. normal. So um, egg freezing feels very of the moment, right? It's become much more mainstream um, to the point that even employers are starting to cover it as part of their benefits, but it's not necessarily accessible for everyone, you know, even if it's recommended, you know, based on the sort of age outline that you gave us. 
What are the typical out-of-pocket costs of egg freezing? So we have specials that have taken the cost of egg freezing down to $6,400, which is, in my eyes, one of the lowest I've seen in the country. And being one of the number one IVF labs, you're getting a really good deal. It's not all year. We have these specials that pop up for special occasions during the year, so I'd Mm -hmm. be watching Mm -hmm. carefully. I wouldn't wait six months for it to come out if it's not coming out. But typically, egg freezing costs are in the higher 7,000 range. Okay. Uh, but the thing that really varies is your medications. If you're you, if you're super young and super healthy and have mm-hmm. a great egg reserve, you don't need a lot of medicine. Um, if you are much older and you need to be using stronger medications to help you form those eggs, then it goes up the cost of the medication. Um, mm-hmm. Medication costs can vary anywhere from like two to three thousand dollars to like five to six thousand dollars. Okay. Sadly, we have no control over that, and also. Right. There are very few pharmacies, so there is a slight monopoly on this in the in the country, and very few people sell it. So there's not much ways of getting around the cost of the medication. And does insurance ever cover egg freezing? It does. There are some, like you said, there are some employers that do. There are some insurances that do. You have to be lucky. Yeah, yeah. The majority of insurances do not cover fertility, do not cover egg freezing, but some employers do. So when you're looking for a job... You may want to be comparing also the benefits that come with it. Absolutely. Um, What would you say are the most common myths and truths about egg freezing? So some major questions that I've been asked is like, when I do the egg freezing, you're taking out all of my eggs? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. When we do every month, when you release that one egg, it's called ovulation. About, Mm -hmm. I'd say, a thousand other eggs die in that process. We're trying to recruit some of the ones that were going to die anyways. And the healthier and younger you are with more eggs there, the more we're able to recruit. The less Mm -hmm. eggs you have, the older you are, the less eggs we're able to recruit. So that's you do not lose all your eggs. Are you going to go into an earlier menopause? Not at all. By taking out 20, 30 eggs, you are not going into an earlier menopause. Uh, Another myth, I'm going to gain weight. Mm -hmm. Some people do retain more fluid during Mm -hmm. the time that they're doing an egg freezing cycle. And usually it goes away. There are people that are also extremely stressed during this process because it's not what they had planned on in their life. It's not where their life may have wanted to be at that time. Mm -hmm. And they do some stress eating that will make you gain weight. But is it the actual process making you fat? No. What advice do you have for someone who has been putting off this appointment? The more you wait, the poorer your egg quality will be and the less eggs you're going to get. And you're going to have much bigger costs ahead of you in the future when it comes to having to use a donor egg, a surrogate, or anything like that as you get much, much, much older. All right. Scenario B, you and your partner are trying to conceive and it's not happening. At what point should you consider seeing a specialist? I've heard people say to try the old-fashioned way for at least a year. It depends. If you're 41 years old and you just got married, please do not wait one year. That You're right. harming yourself. If you have very irregular periods, waiting one year is going to be a complete waste of your time. Now, okay. if you are young and you're healthy, let's say you're 30, you got married, now you want to have a kid, you only want to have one kid, mm-hmm. I'd say trying for a year is okay. If it were me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I would be proactive. Sure. So I would call my OBGYN, which is a good starting point, and say, do you think I can do a blood test to see if I have eggs? What if you're 30 and your egg reserve is really low? 
Why waste mm-hmm. the year? Doing a blood test called AMH will help you learn about your egg reserve. Checking okay. your fallopian tubes and seeing if they're open with a procedure called an HSG, a hysterosalpingogram, will let you know if your tubes are open. Why try for a year if your tubes are not open? If you're a guy, why not check your sperm and make sure you have sperm rather than waste a year of time with your wife? You know, there, these are mm-hmm. different things that you could be doing that are proactive. Some of these things they even can do through the home. There are kits that people, companies send you and you just check it at home. Right. I'm, I think that information is power. Time is also power in the world of fertility. And then to sort of echo the question we asked about egg freezing, what are some common myths and truths about infertility that people might find surprising? You know, just because your grandmother or mom had a kid at 46 does not mean you will at all. Mm -hmm. Other myths, you know, just relax and you'll get pregnant or things like that are so sad. (laughs) I've heard it all. I mean, I've heard it all about positions and about, you know, timing and things like that. Right. There's... They are myths. Um, I know, obviously, IVF isn't the first thing people try, you know, once they come and see you. So what are other options that people try before doing IVF? So I love that you asked that question because we don't have 30 treatment options for fertility. So you can either be trying at home, Mm -hmm. timing intercourse, it's called timed intercourse, um, Mm -hmm. or we have two options at the office. It's artificial insemination or IUI or intrauterine insemination, whatever you'd like to call it either Mm -hmm. with medications or without. They increase your pregnancy rates by a little bit, not a ton. Mm -hmm. Before Mm -hmm. doing those, we always check to see the fallopian tubes is good and your sperm is good. And then it's the IVF route, where we take the egg out of the body with the sperm, make an embryo in the laboratory, and then we insert an embryo back into the uterus vaginally, called an embryo transfer or a frozen embryo transfer. Those are our two routes of helping people get pregnant. Their success rates are like this. You know, IUI success rate is between like 10, 15% on a good day. IVF success rates are like between 70 and 80%. So they're very different with a lot more benefits of having leftover embryos, freezing embryos, genetically testing embryos. So a lot more control and power comes to you there. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, whatever family planning looks like for someone, it's obviously a lot physically and emotionally, as we've talked about. And I think you know, thanks to compassionate and innovative doctors like you, there are so many options to start a family. You're known as an ambassador of hope for helping so many folks build the family of their dreams and are a strong advocate for LGBTQIA plus community. How do doctors like you help this, you know, help this community build their families? Well, I think it's really important with pride being here, I think, and a probably a large percentage of patients in my clinic that are same-sex males, same-sex females, single males, single females. Um, Mm -hmm. We help everyone. We help anyone who is interested in having a beautiful family. We have ways of getting surrogates. We have ways of helping you with egg donation. We have ways of getting you sperm donation. We have ways of taking embryos from one partner and putting it into another reciprocal IVF for our same-sex females. We have ways of putting an embryo from one male and another male both into the same surrogate so we could possibly have twins growing from both partners. I mean, we have every single opportunity of what we need to do. We have used sperm from a father whose son had no sperm to make a baby. We have had a sister donate her eggs to the male partner's husband 
so they can keep the genetics in the family. We have had every mm-hmm. single opportunity of making beautiful families, and we are completely inclusive of every lovely human being out there who wants to have a beautiful family. That's amazing. Dr. Kadir, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I have I have a million more questions, but... Um, we'll do this again. Yes. Please tell our listeners where they can find more of you and your resources. Wonderful. So my handle is Dr. Shaheen Gadir, D-R-S-H-A-H-I-N-G-H-A-D-I-R on Instagram and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a TikTok channel. I have also my own podcast called The Fertile Life. I have a website called drgadir.com and also my clinic's website is scrcivf.com and we are happy to help anyone that needs help with anything and I hope all the resources that we put out there are able to help people as well. Thank you to Adrian Bailan Houghton and Dr. Shaheen Gadir and a huge thank you to everyone who shared their IVF journeys with us today. I think we can all agree that parenthood is a journey and the better informed we are, the more equipped we are to handle the bumps along the way. Be sure to follow Bobby on Instagram at Bobby for all Milk Drunk updates and sign up for the Milk Drunk newsletter at milk-drunk.com. If you or someone you know is Bobby curious, head to bobby.com slash ever15 for 15% off your first organic formula order. Milk Drunk is powered by Bobby, hosted by me, Angelica Temple, and produced by Beth Rowe, Mary Kelly, and the team at Full Picture Productions. If you're liking what we're shaking here at Milk Drunk Pod, be sure to subscribe. You won't want to miss a thing. Also, if you have topics you want to hear discussed or a hot parenting take, our DMs are always open. 